You're listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 319. And on the show today, it is 319, right? Hold on. (laughs) I'm an organized guy who said I wasn't. Uh, Yes, it is 319 because last week's was 318. That makes sense. Uh, Look, on the show today, I am going to be chatting with Devours, a cool guy who makes cool music, and we'll be uh, chatting with him in just a bit. But of course, like every week, we've got some cool music to play. Uh, Do we have some birthdays? I think I've got some letters to read. I've got a few things to do. We've got a few things to do. All right? I don't know where this energy is coming from. All morning I've been moping around because my fucking teeth are falling apart. I'll get to that. Look, let's first listen to some cool music, all right? So, this is a fun one from Chalk Dinosaur from the album Punch Funk Love. And uh, and this is a cool track you're going to dig. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. You know, people support this show on Patreon for some reason, and I'm very grateful to them. And uh, I'd like to do a special shout-out to the kings of the Pattersons, of course. These are the people who donate very generously, and I generously thank the kings of the Pattersons, the king of all kings, Mr. Chris Dance. I hope you're doing well over there. And then there's Mr. Mike Shima. We should come up with a nickname for you. Why am I going to say I give all these other people in lower tiers nicknames, and you guys are just the kings of the... Well, I guess you're the kings of the Pattersons, right? And of course, Mystery Donor... Will we ever find out who the mystery donor is? Who knows? Anyways, check out this track. This is Chalk Dinosaur with Twin Lakes.
And that was Twin Lakes by Chalk Dinosaur from the album Punch Funk Love. Go check that out. I had Chalk Dinosaur on the show years ago. And uh, yeah, he's a cool guy. You know, he dabbles in lots of different genres. Maybe I should catch up with him. Maybe uh, he's gone through a bunch of life changes. What am I saying? Anyway, look, he's a very talented guy, and that was a a cool song. So uh, go check out the music of Chalk Dinosaur. Listen to the chat I had with him back in... I feel like that was like six years ago or seven years ago. Anyway, oh yeah, what was I saying? Yeah, okay, so something's going on with my teeth. I feel like I'm in a nightmare. You know those nightmares where your teeth are falling apart? Oh, that song was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, by the way. Uh, In the Kroner Club, we got Emil Hampus ML and Mr. Glenn Main. And with the 5666, we got Mike Erdahl. I gotta come up with a nickname for you. Mike Erdahl. Write me in. Let me know what you do. Do you have a wacky job? Are you a computer guy? How about I call you Mike Erdahl, computer guy, until I have more information. Okay, so look, I'm living through one of those dreams. The other day, my back tooth, which is a crown, it just had this feeling like there was like a buildup on it or something. Like, I don't like when I can feel my teeth and they don't feel completely clean. It really bothers me. So I kept on like just feeling back there with my tongue and stuff. And I'm like, God damn it, my fucking, there's something wrong with my tooth. Like, it just felt like there was something I couldn't get off it. So I kept trying to floss and floss and floss and nothing was working. And then my wife's like, oh, just use the super floss because she's got this other floss that's like a little bit thicker for some reason. And I'm like, okay, great. So I take that, put it in, and all of a sudden just like chunk and like this piece of tooth just flies off. And I'm like, what? That's never happened to me in my life. So I'm just looking like, what the fuck just happened? I'm thinking maybe it was the crown. Like, I think I've just cracked a crown, which again is also shitty because I just got it like two years ago. So (laughs) hopefully this thing's under warranty. I don't know. If that's a thing. Yeah, so it was really unsettling, okay? Then today, so I've made an appointment with the dentist, but the appointment's not till Thursday. And then yesterday night, I'm flossing, and then I'm flossing a different tooth, and the floss keeps getting stuck and, like, kind of shredding a bit. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So then I start flossing. I kept on flossing and flossing. This was, like, last night at 10 to try and get the floss out because it just felt like there was floss stuck in my tooth. All of a sudden, I'm flossing. Chunk! A fucking piece of tooth flies off. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I'm literally in that dream. You know the dream you have where your teeth fall out? I think I knocked a filling out. I think that's what's going on. And I have a funny suspicion. It's like fillings from the same dentist visit. Because when I went there, it was several years ago. And the dentist lady was just about to take a maternity leave. She was pregnant. We booked the appointment because it was her last day before, like, going on maternity leave. So I think she just did a rush job. And now all the fillings that she did that day are just going to fucking fall out of my head. Anyways, let's listen to some music. I apologize. I understand this might be upsetting for you, but uh, trust me, it's a little bit more upsetting for the guy whose teeth are actually falling apart. Uh, Look, let's listen to a song from... (laughs) Let's listen to a track from Blacklight. This is a fun one. It's got a nice uh, retro vibe uh, that I dig, and uh, you're going to dig it too. And it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Well, there's Brendan Decker in the $50 Club, along with Mr. Tim Carlton, the Golden Boner, who's also in the $50 Club, who just so happens to be the man who wrote the Cisco Hold music. He's a true legend. Anyways, let's listen to this. This is Black Light with All You Ever Think About Is Sex. Yeah. 
And that was All You Ever Think About Is Sex from Black Light. And uh, we're back here on this lovely day after I've just told you a very unpleasant story about teeth falling apart. Of course, that song was brought to you by my awesome uh, Patreon supporters. Uh, my semi-sonic friend, Mr. Jacob Wick. I hope you're having a lovely day. And then, of course, there's Retro Serenade with the 3333 and Hugh Hefner in the 2666 Club. I know last week when I was talking to Diamond Field, we brought up the topic of who's responsible for certain types of uh, automobile accidents. So I know I was saying that thing where there are certain accidents where I believe anyways, where you are perceived to be in the wrong based solely on the type of accident. Like if you T-bone somebody, it's sort of like automatically your fault, even if the other person was like running the light because you should have been driving safely enough to have been able to stop before that happened or something. Anyways, Echo Vector X wrote this uh, comment here and he says, the only reason I know this is because of an accident I had. It is the common law principle of assured clear distance. A driver is responsible for maintaining a speed that allows them to safely stop based on situational awareness regardless of the set speed limit. For example, you must be able to stop without rear-ending someone even if they slam on the brakes. You must pass through non-controlled intersections that do not have a clear line of sight at a speed that keeps you from t-boning someone else i'm sure there are nuances but that's the basic idea as i remember it well listen thank you echo vector x because that's exactly what i was trying to talk about with very little information because as you know i don't really know things I just, like, pretend to, and then run to the internet later after I've recorded the show and then realize that I was wrong. <laughs> so, that's what we were talking about. Assured, clear distance. So, thank you, Echo Vector X. Assured, clear distance sounds like a cool song title. So, get on it. And speaking of songs, let's listen to one. Look, I haven't listened to Electric Dragon in a while. Okay, I've had him on the show before a few years ago. He makes awesome music. Dark cool shit, and uh, I want to listen to some now. Uh, I want to listen to the track Covenant from the album Covenant. We call that the titular Covenant. And it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. Awesome people like Clint Dowling, A Star Apart, Alex Seligson, Blake Peterson, and Cargo Cult Luau. And this is Covenant by Electric Dragon. It is approaching me. I've seen fire. And I just seen two eyes that were fiery. And I knew it was demon. And uh, they offered me a deal.
And that was Electric Dragon with the track Covenant from the album Covenant. And that's the Covenant. And it was brought to you by my Covenant Patreon supporters. There's Eurobeat Intensifies, Honeybeard, Johnny Five, Joey Richards, Kempson, and Ken Giroux in the $25 Club. I think uh, last week I played that track by Tommy86 called Aurora, the Johan Agabjorn and Mikhail Ogren remix. Or was that the week before? Anyways, Retro Serenade popped into the comments and he said, Wow, I heard this track randomly in 2016 and I could never identify it. It's one of those tracks that I gave up on finding. Thanks, Andy! So see, there you go. If you listen to Beyond Synth long enough, after about 10 years, it might be useful one time. But I'm happy for you, Retro Serenade, because that's a frustrating thing, especially if you're dealing with music that isn't super commercial, right? Because if it's a hit song that's stuck in your head, but you don't know what it is, I feel like there are more ways to find it. But if it's like, you know, an indie electronic remix, it's sort of hard to just hum it to somebody and have them go, yeah, you know what you're talking about, which is something I guess that people nowadays don't have to worry about. But I remember the days of having to do that, literally sing somebody the song. I remember when I couldn't figure out what um, Bizarre Love Triangle from New Orleans I knew I loved that song, but I never knew the band name because it was just on some old mixtape and we didn't have the internet and I wasn't living in a place where people had encyclopedic knowledge of 80s music and stuff. And I just remember, what the fuck is that song? And I worked at the bank and I sang it to one of the co-workers who happened to know pop music. And I'm like, what's that song? You know, like a did 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 And it's like, oh, it's Bizarre Love Triangle by New Order. And I'm like, awesome. And nowadays, uh, you know, you just Shazam that shit. Anyway, let's listen to some more music. I want to listen to this one from Scarlet Soho. I'm going to be having him on the show uh, at some point because Scarlet Soho was the former project of Knights with a dollar sign, James Knights. And he's been involved in several musical projects, but Scarlet Soho was the one that uh, he was involved with in sort of like the early 2000s. It was a, a duo and there's lots of great songs there. They're very, they got a very genuine sort of a new wave vibe. And so we're going to listen to one of those now. And of course it is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the 20 $25 club like Mr. Neverman. Did I already mention him? Restless Nights working away on cool cars. Restless Nights, he posted this picture on Instagram and I think it was like a it was a car seat or something. And it was like, ooh, look at this cool car seat. And when I first saw it, I immediately thought it looked like a baby seat. And so I thought the whole point of the post was that he was announcing that they were having a baby. <laughs> and then it turned out it was a fancy car seat because I don't know shit about cars. Uh, anyway, I hope you're doing okay, buddy. And then, of course, there's Mr. Robot Conglomerate, Sir Micathy, Techno Ben, your imaginary friend, Petey, and Slade. And this is Scarlet Soho with Is Growing Up the Best That We Can Do? Is it true?
And that was Is Growing Up the Best That We Can Do by Scarlet Soho from the album Program to Perfection, Best of and Rarities 2020. And we're back here. This is Beyond Synth. Of course, I'll be chatting with Devours later on in the show. Actually, not that much later because we just have a few more tracks to play. I hope everyone is doing okay today. I'm trying to think of what else has gone on. Oh, I smashed a piano on the weekend. I'm a fucking idiot. All right? Sometimes you learn lessons so late in life, and what I'm about to say for people who understand pianos is going to sound like I'm a moron. But here's the deal. In the house I grew up in, there is an old piano, an upright piano, and it's been basically sitting there unused for 30 years. We used it when we were kids to practice piano because we took piano lessons, my brother and I, and it's pretty much been out of tune for 30 years, and it's been wasting space in this room where we basically use it as a shelf, and a pretty impractical shelf because you can only really put stuff on the top of it because you can't really put stuff over the keys. So in the summertime, uh, we paid a local uh, piano repair person to come and check out the piano and go like, can you tune this? Like, it'd be cool if it worked again. That'd be neat. But it turned out the piano was in a state where it was just damaged. It was cracked. The wood was cracked along the side. There was various problems. And the guy basically said, there's no point in even tuning this thing because it's just going to go out of tune, you know, in like a day or something because there are lots of problems with the piano. So I knew what that meant at some point. I want to get rid of this piano. Everyone's like, why don't you call a piano place? Like maybe there's people who will like get rid of it for you, you know, or they could use it for parts and stuff. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm going to do this myself. Now I know a piano is super heavy, but I thought, and this is where the stupid part comes in. I thought that if I take the piano apart, it's going to be easier to move. What I didn't realize, and again, I don't even like saying this out loud because it makes me sound very, very stupid, that the reason why a piano is heavy... (laughs) is not the fact that it's like this big wooden piece of furniture with all these different ornate parts and all this other stuff. It's because inside the piano is a 300-pound cast iron harp. So, (laughs) the fucking... So I smashed this thing apart. I took it apart as best I can. There was like big screws and stuff, and I took off all these panels, and then find out that just inside the thing is this fucking 300-pound thing. I made... Every wrong decision in the disposal of this piano. I should have just paid somebody, even if it costs like 100 bucks or 200 bucks, to just take the full piano away. But now <laughs> I'm left with <laughs> just this shattered back of the piano where it's like the wood part and the harp and then nothing else because everything else has been like disposed of. And it is still just as hard, maybe even harder to move than it was before because now there's no handles to grab onto. There's no front part to set on a dolly. It's just this heavy thing. So now I'm going to have to call some, you know, hauling company or something. And now I'm going to have to pay them because before it's quite possible that maybe a piano place might have taken it because they could harvest it for parts. And now there's nothing to harvest. It's just this giant piece of scrap metal that I'm going to have to pay somebody to get rid of. (laughs) Anyway, that's my story. My fucking teeth are falling apart. My piano's smashed. What a life. Uh, Let's listen to some more music, and uh, then we'll do birthdays, and then we'll go talk to Devours. So I want to listen to this track from Fury Weekend. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, like Forged in Neon. That's right. She was on the show just about a month ago. They have a YouTube show they're doing now with uh, synthwave hits and a bunch of other stuff and news items and things. So go check that out, Forged in Neon. 
Neon. And then, of course, with the 20, it's Joshua Winter. And with the 1988, Waylon Caskey Geospatial, of course. And then there's Toots with the 1986. And this is Fury Weekend with Dance Killer featuring Robin Adams.
And that was Dance Killer featuring Robin Adams by Fury Weekend. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. In the 1985 Club, it's Rachel Buchelman. And in the 1985 Club, it's Sarah Buchelman. And in the 1555 Club, it's Gene Creamer, Private Eye. And then, of course, there's Mads, Baron Christensen, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Celia Lane. So, uh, how about this? Let's do birthdays. We only have one birthday today. I guess I'm doing this one kind of early, um, and that is because my schedule is fucked up. So I'm sorry. You can kiss my ass. Uh, basically, what's happening is I might be changing locations, and so there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes right now, which is making keeping this show on track very difficult. So in the off chance that next week's episode is late, I would like to announce a very happy birthday to Rour. That's right, awesome Patreon supporter Rour, whose birthday is on May the 20th. So happy birthday to you, man, and I hope you don't stupidly smash apart a piano like I did like a fucking idiot and i hope your teeth are intact i wish only the best for the people who support beyond synth because i need you all to stay alive and keep supporting the show and hopefully one of these days for one of you to just strike it rich in fact i want all of you to strike it rich and become angel investors in the beyond synth franchise where we can uh, branch out and make uh, other stupid things no one will listen to <laughs> Anyways, happy birthday to you. Let's quickly see what goes on May the 20th. Well, in the year 1310, on May the 20th, shoes were made for both right and left feet. How the fuck do they know that? Let's see if you share a birthday with any dictators. Hold on. In 2011, <laughs> you... <laughs> You share a birthday with Doug the Pug, American internet celebrity dog born in Ohio. Ah, <laughs> uh, let's see. You share a birthday with a terrorist. Let's see a good one here. Oh, in 1944, on May the 20th, was the birthday of Diedrich Maitschitz, Austrian businessman and co-creator of Red Bull Energy Drink. All right, I'm not seeing any good ones here, buddy, unless you think that's a good one. Who the fuck are these people? 1920, John Cruikshank, banker. <laughs> this website sucks. <laughs> It didn't even say famous banker. It just said banker. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, Raur, keep being cool. Thanks for supporting this show. Happy birthday to you. I hope it goes well. Let's listen to one more song, and then we will go chat with Devours. So I want to listen to this one from Dr. Plechter from the Rain LP. I have to say it that way because it's spelled D-O-K-T-O-R-P-L-E-K-T-E-R. When you see this written, like, I just have Dr. Plechter. Like, it's just such a, a lot of Ks. Anyway, this track is called Color Line, and it is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. You know what? I'm going to do a random thing. Maybe this is what I'll, this will be the new thing I do, is every week just randomly shout out some patrons as well. How about that? How about thank you to Albion Algorithm, Kudzost, Luke Jackson, Gary Heather, Fuzzy Saber, Mick Gadfly, and Jean-Christophe Leconte. And I hope you guys dig this. This is Dr. Plecter with Colorline. Line. <laughs> 
That was Color Line by Dr. Plechter. And that is a cool track. And uh, it was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Uh, let's do another random shout-out. I would like to thank Chest Press Magoo, Dave Woolston, King Koopazilla, Antilog, Nathan Winter, and Watch Out for Snakes. Hey, and Watch Out for Snakes has a new album, so go check that out. All right, so let's go chat now with Devours. I'm trying very hard to make this episode release before the Verboden Music Festival, which Devours will be playing at. And if you dig the music of Devours and you live in the Vancouver area, it's in Vancouver, right? What do I know? Anyways, there's a music festival going on. We talk about it in the show. There should still be a few days if you want to go uh, check them out. And now, let's go to my conversation with Devours. All right, and I am here right now with Devours. How's it going, man? Hi, thanks for having me, Andy. I'm feeling good. Well, that's what I like to hear. Now, you are <laughs> you are Jeff, is that correct? My name is Jeff. I don't know how I found your stuff, but I know the second I heard it, it was very captivating immediately. You have sort of a very, I'll say, very energetic and sort of like in-your-face kind of sound. You know, you've got these giant, bold bass lines and punchy lyrics with nostalgic references and stuff. So, yeah, I'm glad I found it. Thank you, Andy. It was fate. <laughs> and I guess the other thing... Thing, uh, about you that is immediately interesting is your image because you have an interesting look as devours with these giant you know painted on eyebrows and you know on the newest album cover you got the eyebrows and glitter and like the whole top of your head is covered in makeup so I uh, explain your look to me yeah I mean like because I've put out three albums now and for the first album I had very very colorful clothes and these giant painted on glittery eyebrows and I think that it was a, a little bit of like a response to what was happening in Vancouver at the moment just with like the gay scene the community that I was in was very obsessed with like masculinity and trying to present as like really butch and then also the Vancouver scene like at the time there wasn't a ton of different types of electronic stuff being made a lot of it was just sort of like dark right always wearing black and you have to fit in and like I just wanted to do something different for Vancouver at the time and so I think that I just wanted to like be a little bit feminine and flamboyant and then on the second album I lost my hair, <laughs> like legitimately, like I went bald. And so <laughs> that was a bit of like a new makeover was like me being bald, but also having the eyebrows. And I was doing something a little bit like gothier on that album because the album was a bit darker. And then for this recent album, it all sort of ties into the story of Devours because I'm supposed to be a Galian. <laughs> Which is a gay alien, of course. No, I, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. And like, there's always been a little bit of like mythology to the Devourers character because I'm supposed to exist on a planet called Planet Devourers where like everyone is gay. <laughs> yeah. And basically, this most recent album is called Escape from Planet Devourers, which is all meant to sort of be like a metaphor for like a chapter in my life coming to an end and me being really depressed <laughs> and it's meant to be about like trying to escape from like mental illness basically but in terms of the image my head is supposed to be burnt and my teeth are charred so in a few pictures you can see my teeth are all black and my head is sort of red and burnt looking and it's supposed to be because planet devours 
is on fire and I need to escape it. So it, it was all meant to sort of be like a reference to old like 80s and 90s like action blockbuster movies like Alien 3 and like Escape from LA, that kind of thing. So yeah, the album was sort of sequenced to be like a action blockbuster type thing. So he comes from Planet Devours. Yeah. Is he Devours or does he have a name? <laughs> He's Devours. So it's just a coincidence that he comes from a planet that's named after him? Or? <laughs> yeah. All right. I just want to get the facts of this thing clear. <laughs> it clearly was not that thought out. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, Planet Devours has exploded and now it's dead. So, but, but Devours isn't over. I'm like halfway through writing a new album. But the narrative will continue. No spoilers. Okay, okay. So the character itself with the eyebrows and stuff is meant to be sort of like a super butch masculine caricature like is that the idea a little yeah it was just something that i wanted to do at the time because it felt like a punk statement against a community that i was a part of and vancouver just like any city you know like you sort of feel the need to like dress like everyone in the scene to like fit in and to get shows and stuff and i just wanted to try doing something that i felt was different and fresh but like i, I never really intended to devours to be sort of like a cartoony character it was just sort of like a personal statement of where I was at in my life at that time and so yeah every album seems to have a little bit of like a image change and it's meant to just sort of reflect my, my stance and opinions on where I'm at in my life is devours your first musical project or were you doing stuff before that yeah, I've been making music since I was a kid I've had a lot of solo projects that have never really taken off I lived in Montreal in my like early to mid 20s and was making a lot of music there with different projects that never took off I used to have like a noise grunge type thing. I don't think it's on the internet anywhere, but yeah, like I have made music in different styles and then moved to Vancouver when I was 25 and it took a long time to get anywhere in Vancouver. I just couldn't really break into the scene. It took a long time, but yeah, that's sort of when I started doing Devours and yeah, I've been making music since I was a kid. I've made a lot of stuff. What was typical then of that scene, like music wise? Because you're, you're saying yours is sort of a response to kind of do something different. So like, what was the vibe? First off, Vancouver's great. You know, there is a ton of talent here, a lot of really good bands. I think that in in the early 2010s, it was very, very like garage rock, garage pop focused. Mm. Vancouver's always been kind of like a rock city. And so making electronic stuff, I was like, oh man, I don't even know. Like my stuff just didn't sound like what was happening with the ele other electronic stuff at the time. So yeah, it was, it was hard to even find an inn anywhere. And also there were almost no like queer people in this scene in vancouver yeah i mean there there is now but just <laughs> okay. I, thought that, I always thought that was the thing about vancouver like my mom lives there i always even as a kid growing up was just like yeah vancouver is the city you go to for like the big gay scene or whatever so oh, really have i been misled oh no i mean like vancouver is is gay for sure like it's very gay <laughs> but the the scene was like surprisingly straight like in, in terms of like who the bands were, it was just like a really, really straight. There wasn't a lot of like outspoken gay people singing about like gay issues and stuff. Right. Okay. 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 So maybe like they were there, but just not with a big exposure in terms of like arts and stuff. I exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But there is a big like gay community in Vancouver for sure. But just, yeah, like in the music scene, like it wasn't really represented as much. And in the, in the last five years, for sure. Yeah. Like more artists have come out, but just at that point in time, I was trying to get into the scene around like 2015. So yeah, that was kind of like a double challenge was just being like, oh, can I sing about this type of stuff and will it connect with anyone in the 
community because it's it, it, I just wasn't really hearing it from anyone and also just like with my image and the fact that it was electronic pop music and also like I've had a few people mention now do you know the term hyper pop so it's sort of like this trend that's happening now with queer like extreme electronic pop music that's kind of like on the fringes but it's becoming kind of mainstream now anyways I didn't even realize it at the time but I was kind of making hyper pop before I even knew it or before like, it was happening in Vancouver. So yeah, I think that that's sort of what it was. I don't even know if that's answering the question, but... Did I have a question? I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just rambling, Andy. I don't know. That's okay. Well, how about this? Let's listen to a song. Sure. So I've picked a bunch of tracks that I dig of yours, and I think we'll start today with uh, the first song I heard of yours when I found your music from the album Iconoclast. Ooh. And it's the track Curmudgeon. Oh, great. Okay. So uh, let's do it. This is Curmudgeon by devourers Nostalgia's the worst Who even needs to give a fuck about the 90s anymore Yet I can't get enough of it Remove my bones and shove me back inside my parents' VCR Guess I got what I wanted I dug my own grave That was Curmudgeon by Devours, and I'm here right now with Devours himself, the Galian Jeff. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's me. What I found was I really like your lyrics. Oh, thank you. I found myself even like laughing at some of them, but I love this old, just the line, uh, give me a man who passes the test, who's willing to watch Basic Instinct and Candyman on VHS. <laughs> yeah, two of my favorite movies. Yeah. <laughs> and, and obviously immediately your style as well, because just with these thumping bass lines, yeah. it's just so like just in your face. And then I like these sort of melodic harmonies you do with your voice and stuff. Oh yeah, cool. Thanks, Andy. What's this all about here? What was the, the album I iconoclast about it was actually a very happy album i was thinking about it recently it was just like a very hopeful album because i had gone for so many years just not really finding any success with music and with the album that i had put out before called late bloomer that was my first one it managed to gain a little bit of traction in vancouver and with iconoclast it was just such a hopeful moment in my career of like wow i can actually make music that like I might be able to book a show right. in Vancouver and I can like get heard by a few people. So it was a very exciting moment for me. And the album, I'm trying to remember back to what the lyrics were. I think some of them are about body image. I think the album was more like defiantly queer too, because it was a moment where I was like, wow, I can sing about stuff like gay sex and relationships. And Yeah, and I actually thought about that because, you know, while there is music I like where the song is from, you know, a gay perspective, you know, like Small Town Boy by Bronski Beat, you know, for example, like sure, yeah. we, we know why the small town boy is leaving home, but the lyrics themselves are not explicit. Yeah. yeah. So I think your music might be some of the only stuff I listen to with like openly gay lyrics. Yeah. So that was a big thing, you know, because like I don't mean to say like I'm the first outspoken gay artist ever like I absolutely <laughs> am not or anything but even for like George Michaels or like people who are openly gay their lyrics are always universal right you can always sort of assume oh maybe they're talking about something like this or that but I think that with Iconoclast I was like let's just say out like straight up like I'm singing about me being in love with a man you know what I mean like it was at a point in time just with like pop culture and stuff where I wasn't really hearing that. So it was a little bit scary, you know, like when you're a musician and you know that you're part of like a smaller community and you want people to relate to your music, you tend to make lyrics universal so that everyone can relate to them. And so I think that Iconoclast was a little bit of a shift for me of just being like, you know what? No, I'm going to just sing about like exactly what I mean. Yeah. And I think there's still enough going on in your lyrics that I connect with. Sure. Yeah. And sometimes even if people are singing about stuff that I might not fully resonate with, I'm still more compelled by someone creating art from a real place yeah and you know like i said before like i find some of your lyrics really fun and creative like uh what was it like remove my bones and shove me back in my parents vcr so like there's some fun lyrics in this thing thank you yeah and i mean i guess maybe i'm just like i'm an empathetic guy but i can relate to love no matter what you know i understand those feelings oh totally yeah or the feelings of getting disappointed or heartbreak and stuff which seems to be <laughs> which seem to come up more in your music for sure yeah yeah it's funny listening back to the albums like all three of them and being like wow i'm not happy <laughs> like, a lot of the lyrics are so depressing but i think that i've always used music and lyric writing and stuff like that to be sort of like therapy like it is cathartic and therapeutic to write i think a lot i channel a lot of my like depression and anxiety into the lyrics and with curmudgeon i i like that song a lot i'm glad that you played it with nostalgia i i love nostalgia so much like i can't help it but i also feel like when i get too trapped in nostalgia it sometimes means that i'm just like going through a depressive wave sure which is interesting for my own mental health like usually if i'm in like a really really happy place then i'm less 
prone to thinking about nostalgia. Right. Strange little thing that I've noticed about myself. But anyways, yeah, that song is kind of meant to be playful. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, it is something we rarely talk about on this show because, like, the synthwave scene is built on nostalgia. Right. And we don't often reflect on, like, the negative aspects yeah. of nostalgia because, you know, like you say, I, I believe people are generally happier when they're living in the moment. Yeah. However, what I love about synthwave and the synthwave scene is it is about artists making new things, you know, music, artwork that evokes nostalgic feelings. Because one of the depressing lessons I learned is that you cannot live in the past or recreate the past expecting to have the same feelings. Like one time, I mean, this was maybe like 10 years ago now, but I got a few friends together to play Goldeneye. Mm, classic. And it was like, oh, I can, we, we can recreate the fun we used to have, remember? And then it, I remember it was just a weird evening and it just didn't, <laughs> it didn't pan out. Oh, what happened? It was weird, but there was all weirdness going on with the friend circle as well. <laughs> right. But the thing was, the night before, I had an impromptu thing where I just had like one friend over. We were playing the Perfect Dark HD remake on Xbox and which is just golden I so we're playing that and then another buddy just sort of came by without phoning or whatever and so we ended up playing like four player Goldeneye, but it wasn't planned. And then that evening was a lot of fun. Okay. Because it was new and like, it, you know, we didn't know there was going to be a gathering and, you know, we're having drinks and playing games and having a good time. But then when I tried to plan it, it failed. Mm. Right. And so I feel like what you're saying, it's like that living in the moment where it has to be, it has to be like a real experience. And if you try and orchestrate nostalgia, it just sort of falls flat. Yeah. That's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it. That's really, that's, that's interesting. That's the, that might be the first time in the history of the show that someone's ever said that to me after I finished talking. <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Andy. <laughs> no, I mean it. Like, I'm trying to, like, understand my own sort of, like, tendencies for nostalgia. And I'm like, what does it really, what does this mean? Does it mean something deeper? And yeah, you're right. You and know. now, to be fair... I love GoldenEye still, and I think it's one of the best games ever made multiplayer, but it is also coupled with memories of being in high school, not having a care in the world, going down and getting fucking snacks from the corner store with my buddies and playing GoldenEye on a Saturday night or something, and it's obviously that's connected to it as well. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, look, point is this, I just talk way too much, so how about this? Let's listen to some more Devours, and then we'll keep talking. So let's play... A track from Late Bloomer. Whoa. There was a a track I dug called Jazz by Thor. Let's do it. So this is Jazz by Thor by Devours.
And that was Jazz by Thor by Devours off the album Late Bloomer all the way back in 2016. Yeah. A young Galian still trying to figure out his style. Wait, was he a Galian at the time or did that happen later? Oh, uh, it was at the time too. Okay. You don't ever wear those eyebrows when you're not uh, being the character of Devours, do you? No, I don't. But no, I was starting to get recognized around town because I was playing a lot of shows and I would sometimes before a show, I would go into a restaurant with the eyebrows and people would be like, oh, it's devours, <laughs> you like your eyebrows. And it was it was cute. But yeah, when I'm sitting at home alone, I don't have them on. <laughs> Are they physical like eyebrows or is it just paint? It's paint and, okay. and glitter. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and the glitter is awful. It, like it falls into my beard and it's so hard to get out. So wait, so you said you had some music projects before Devours. Were you ever trying to do stuff with bands or did you always consider yourself like a solo artist? That's a really good question. Yeah, I've tried to play with people before and it never really like came to fruition. I've just sort of jammed with people over time. But yeah, I've always made music sort of like bedroom style. Like when I was in my teens and stuff, I was always just solo stuff on my synth. Still the synth that I use now to perform even. Like it's the one that I grew up playing. And so I'm not really a gearhead. It's just an old Technics synth that I got from my parents in like 1991 or something. Yeah, so I, I think that the big shift was when I left Montreal and moved to Vancouver because things weren't really panning out in Montreal. And I was like, man, I love music, but maybe I can do it in some different capacity. Like maybe I can compose for film or TV or like commercials or something. And so I moved to Vancouver to go to school. I went to the Art Institute of Vancouver just to do sort of like a one-year program for electronic composing for TV and film. So that in and of itself has been kind of a roller coaster of like trying to find work. And this was like 10 years ago now. But yeah, so that's when I started to get more into electronic stuff and MIDI stuff, which again was like what I was doing when I was a kid. And I stopped doing it for a while because I just wanted a break and I was trying to learn the guitar and stuff like that. But from like 2010 onwards, it's been really focused on synth stuff. And for a handful of years there, like in the early 2010s, I was doing something that's a little bit more similar to plunder phonics. Do you know the term? No, I'm learning all sorts of things today. Hyper pop and plunder phonics. Yeah. <laughs> plunder phonics is like taking a lot of sounds, like like real life sounds, like a frying pan hitting something or then a train and then like a rowboat. Like just lots of different types of like real like Foley sound mm-hmm. and like turning them into percussive instruments. So I was doing a lot of like sampling and a lot of just like warping sounds. Does Plunder Phonics end up sounding like music? It can. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I remember there was someone who pretentiously tried to explain music concrete to me before. Okay. Yeah. And it sounds similar in description, except when I finally listened to it, it just sounded like uh, I was listening to a building site or something, you know, where they're just like they collect real sounds from the world totally yeah and it's like oh it's music concrete or i guess you got to say it the french way it's super pretentious <laughs> right and then i listen to it i'm like this just sounds like you set up a fucking microphone at a construction site i mean like that's what it sounded like to me <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there are lots of the possibilities are endless hmm. <laughs> yeah especially if like i remember being in school and working on a project i think this was still one of the most like my proudest moments was there was a creaking door That's all we were given was just a sample of like three seconds of a creaking door, but you would chop it into tiny, tiny little like pieces and program it into a sampler because the tone like or something like that of the door, you could program it to to sound like a, a note, right? like an actual like melodic note or whatever. And then half of it was 
me making like percussive noises out of it, but half of it was like me creating a melody out of it. I don't know. Anyways, I made a whole song out of just a sample of a door creaking, like with a melody and with chords and, and everything. Like there are a lot of crazy things that you can do with <laughs> technology. For me, it's like at the end of the day, if it sounds like a song, mm-hmm. you know, because sometimes there's a lot of art that people will make where the reason why it's good is the 10 page story that accompanies the thing. So you understand why it's a significant piece or whatever. Right. And that stuff's all great as long as the thing that it is. <laughs> is also good too yeah as long as you can write good music <laughs> yeah it's like when people like will justify liking a shitty movie right and they'll be like oh you know but it, it was so hard you know they had to film it over the course of three years and then there was all these setbacks and the actor died and all this i'm like yeah but the movie sucks <laughs> so like this whole story doesn't make it better like it's just anyway yeah you do still use some of those techniques in your music though right because there is i do i notice a lot of those quick samples like kind of blip in for a second and like sort of weird vocals that are like pitched up and pitch down yeah. things are sort of go like ma'am yep you know, these things are sort of like yep. this is my impression of your music for sure yeah yeah so that is what I do <laughs> I don't know what to say I ask great questions <laughs> So you go to the Art Institute of Vancouver Mm -hmm. and you said, all right, I did my, was it a one year thing or a three year thing? Yeah, no, it was just like, it was, it was one year and then they let me roam free. I didn't find work for a while. It was tough, like finding any sort of footing in Vancouver because it's like, again, one of those schools where they tell you that they're going to like help you find work and then they don't. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, I don't want to like be boring and talk about my like work experience, but like I worked at the Vancouver Symphony for a while, not even doing something music related. I was just doing like box office stuff for a while and was just like hustling to do like freelance stuff or like I made some music for documentaries and like a few TV commercials. But again, it was so sporadic that it was struggling for a long time to like find steady work. And then the first sort of like big gig that I got was doing music editing for an animated TV show. So that was good. And then I started making Devours on the side because I was like, you know what? I'm reaching 30 and I really didn't accomplish things that I wanted to. Like I want to play shows and I want to put out full albums again. And so... Yeah, and and then I started singing on my music again because I had gone through a lot of stuff and was like, I feel like I have enough to sing about now, like enough content that I can really sing about my life experiences in Vancouver and stuff like that. And so, yeah, and now my life is super weird. Uh, These past few years, like COVID's been terrible. I feel like I've lost all the momentum that I had in Vancouver. I don't have a job right now, so... Yeah, gotta love being an artist. What cartoon did you work on? Oh, I was doing the music editing for Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Like the TV show version? Yeah. I never saw that. They animated it slightly differently, right? Like it was a 2D animated cartoon, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was really funny. It was actually a really, really good show. It's too bad. I did it for two years and then the show got canceled. So there are so many shows that start and then just they do like one season and then they go away Mm -hmm. and then there'll be other shows like my son. I think he still watches this fucking Lego Ninjago. (laughs) It's a Lego cartoon based on their Ninjago toy line. So it's like ninjas. Okay. And they're on season 15. Wow. Of Lego Ninjago. Like, I, I'm just like, what the f- How is this? Now, mind you, I don't know if it's one of those weird shows that like does two seasons a year. And so it's actually only been like five years, but I think it actually has been quite a long time. Wow. And then, of course, when I was a kid, like Transformers season two has 60 episodes. They used to do things very differently. So there's only like three seasons of Transformers. I mean, of the original show, but like there's still like 120 episodes or something. 
something like over the over three years yeah i'm not an expert on this topic but i think that some of it has to do with toy branding oh yeah like yeah. however much money something will sell like cloudy with a chance of meatball didn't have like toys that kids could buy easily but for something like lego or transformers like kids go out and they buy the toys and like whatever is making yeah. disney or like whoever the company is like whoever whatever is making money then they keep the show going yeah and many adults buy the toys yeah so but it's, it's not just it's not just with like tv ratings i think right. that like even if the ratings aren't that great if the toys are making a ton of money then the show's just like okay let's keep going i think i have a friend who just bought a one thousand dollar optimus prime but it like transforms itself whoa so it's like it, it yeah like you just press a button and it transforms neat yep <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, look, the point is this. Let's listen to the track Off the Grid. Let's do it. It's from uh, Iconoclast. This is uh, another one of my favorites from the album, and it's by Devours.
And that was Devours with the track Off the Grid. And I am back here with Devours, Jeff, talking about art institutes and music editing and plunder phonics. Look at this. See, I'm paying attention. <laughs> yes. Cool. It seems like important that w- what you were doing uh, was connected to this scene or whatever that, that you were a part of. So, like, what does that mean exactly? Are there particular clubs? Is there particular bookers or whatever? Like, what is when you started making music and you decide I want to play this live? Who do you go to, and and what places did you want to play? It's hard because like so much has changed in Vancouver over the past five years. A lot of those venues have closed down now. Sure, a lot of stuff has closed during COVID. But at the time, yeah, it's just like any big city. You know, you have like your bigger venues and your mid-sized venues for like you know indie touring acts and then you have your like underground diy all ages venues and stuff like that there, there used to be more venues and we're struggling to find new, new spaces right now for obvious reasons mm. but yeah and I, I didn't really have a specific idea in mind of like oh i only want to play electronic shows again like most of what happens in vancouver is like indie rock related there's lots of guitars guitar stuff happening in Vancouver (laughs) and so yeah for a long time I was just playing shows with like indie rock bands and punk bands and actually a lot of Devourers' music is they're kind of like rock songs but I can't play the guitar properly and so I've just sort of like made synth versions out of them sure which is yeah I don't know how to describe that but yeah so I think that it helped there are a few sort of like underground festivals in Vancouver that I managed to just apply and get into them and then I went to lots of shows and mostly got in with like the indie punk scene more than the electronic scene but you get in however you can in Vancouver it's, it's a tough city because <laughs> your music sort of sounds complex so like when you're doing it live, are you just like triggering a bunch of things? Do you have helpers? I mean, like, what's your setup? No, I do it all solo. I have a tambourine with me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I play the tambourine live. <laughs> And that was the one, also, the, the, the one standout from your music. I know when I listened to all the albums back, I'm like, oh man, I love that tambourine. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I have the tambourine live. I also sing live. And I also play synth live. And I have my laptop with me and I use Logic. Like I have a few samplers like built into it. And then I have two separate samplers and I press a whole bunch of buttons so yeah it is what what you're imagining you know it's just me with you know a few samplers pressing buttons but i keep it kind of simple you know i I try to like really get some audience interaction going and i move around the stage a lot and so i don't make it super technical i did early on and i was overcomplicating it by like breaking all the songs into pieces and then having to like press so many buttons and after a while i realized that no one really cares about like how technical it is like when you're singing people just care about the performance and just like you giving energy on stage and so so yeah no i, I keep it kind of simple i just sort of trigger the basic like backing tracks and then add a few things on top and so yeah you don't sweat those eyebrows off do you no so i was getting like really really good makeup from the mac store good stuff for like film like like really really good quality stuff and then i ran out of it and then during covid that store was closed and so i had to go to a store called michael's which is like really basic art supplies stuff mm. and i had to get some like kids face paint (laughs) (laughs) yeah like if it gets wet at all then it starts to drip and it was a concern especially for this past album cycle with like all of the red and black on my scalp yes yeah like there were a few shows where it was like raining a little bit outside and i was like oh my god my head's gonna melt off because of like a few (laughs) drips yeah so it's bad i need to get some like better makeup now no offense to michael's at least it sort of works thematically though right like if you have that stuff all over your head but it's kind of like dripping down you know like a little bit but I don't want it to get into my eyes. (laughs) 
when I'm performing. <laughs> you don't want cheap paint in your eyes? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> has Vancouver opened up now mostly? Yeah, Vancouver during COVID has sucked, just like everywhere has sucked and like sure. events weren't happening and things weren't closed. But I don't think that we got hit quite as hard with the um, like regulations as Ontario. Now, mind you, even though things are opening up, I still feel weird about when I'm like hanging with people. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And like I get sick really easily. And so even before COVID, I was always a little bit like cautious of being around in tight crowds and stuff. Yesterday, I went to see, have you heard of a band called Beach House? Yes. Yeah. So I saw Beach House last night in Vancouver. Amazing show, but there, it was sold out. There were just <laughs> so many people there. So many people without masks yelling and screaming and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get sick. So it's going to be a hard a- adjustment. That used to happen to me too. Like, it's not that I have like a weak immune system, but whenever I would ride public transit, yeah, whenever I got home, I would always feel almost like I had a mild cold and then I would have to have a shower and it would go away. I would almost start to feel like a slight congestion just from like being on the train for like, you know, half hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, let's move ahead, all right, to Escape from Planet Devours from 2021. Yeah. And uh, I want to listen to this track. This is one I dug. It was called Exposure. Ooh. And it's uh, by Devours. Thank you. 
And that was Exposure by Devours. And I am here right now with Devours. Jeff. Hi. Now, I said I wanted to play Exposure, and your first reaction was, oh. I think Exposure is one of my favorite songs that I've ever written. Okay, good. Then I made the right choice. I I wouldn't want to play a track you didn't like. I sometimes feel like I'm my own biggest fan and my own biggest critic. And I write a lot of music, and I chew up and spit out the ones that I don't like. And then the ones that I like the most, I put on my albums. <laughs> right? Yeah, so like I, I, I'm fairly prolific, and I write a lot of stuff. But yeah, the stuff that is on my albums, I like all of the material. So anyways. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so there aren't any where I'm like, oh my god, that was, I regret that. That was a huge mistake. You know, I'm, I'm pretty careful with that stuff, and I'm pretty happy with whatever is on any of the albums. But yeah, Exposure was a special one for me. I, I like that song a lot. Yeah, I guess that's an interesting thing, because like, I have had that conversation where I'll say, like, oh, I like the song, like, oh, that's weird that you picked that one. I'm like, then why'd you put it on the album? Like, if, 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 you, don't, <laughs> if you don't like it, like... Yeah, who knows what it is? Maybe sometimes people, like, regret something that they say in their lyrics, or maybe they don't like how the bass was recorded. Like, sometimes it has to do with, like, production stuff. They don't like the fidelity or something like that. Like, they don't like how it sounds or it was recorded, but musically, they're happy with it. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess with this show, I always play, like, older tracks from an artist, like, especially if I'm having a chat with them. So it makes sense why I hear producers say that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm bringing back traumatic memories. (laughs) (laughs) So what else are you up to? So I have a separate project. Oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I put out a bit of music. Even a month ago, I put out a new album for it. It's called The Golden Age of Wrestling. And it is, I guess, a tiny bit like Devours in that it's, like, solo, it's electronic, stuff but it's a little bit more like ambient and, and moody it sounds a little bit like video game music mixed with like Hollywood soundtrack East stuff why the fuck don't I ever do research that sounds <laughs> sure. like something I'd be interested in <laughs> sure yeah again it's called the golden age of wrestling I've put out uh, two albums there are some music videos for it as well uh, but it's mostly instrumental there isn't there are a little you know a few vocals here and there but devours is more of my like straight up synth pop project and this is supposed to be sort of like mood music and like movie music style stuff. But yeah, so that's been my focus for this past little while. I'm about halfway through recording a new Devourers album. Just in terms of like career and touring and stuff like that, there are a lot of question marks. My mental health has been really bad these past six months and I'm just trying to like get through every day sure, and not really come up with like huge plans. Also with COVID, like who knows if it'll freak out again and we'll have like lockdowns, but it's so hard right now. Like everyone in Vancouver just seems to be like taking advantage of the venues now. You know, like lots of shows are happening which is exciting but no one knows what's going on this year with, with COVID like it's, it's really hard to like build any momentum but yeah I have a few shows coming up uh, there's actually a, a cool festival that if you want to plug it's going to be in Vancouver in the middle of May and it's called Verboden and it's like a big dark wave synth wave festival tons of acts from North America like some pretty big names too are, are coming to Vancouver and the festival is happening for four days and so Devourers will be doing a set at a place called the Biltmore so yeah like that's a cool little thing that's coming up for Devourers but other than that trying to come up with like tiny plans right now and also look for a job and try to figure out what I'm doing with my career. <laughs> yeah, a lot is on my mind right now, but does the golden age of wrestling have a different audience? A little bit, yeah. Do the people who are big fans of Devours know that that's you? The Golden Age of Wrestling is a project that I launched right before COVID, and I didn't, of course, I didn't know that COVID was going to happen. And so I only played one or two shows, and then the pandemic hit. And so the project, I feel, has been a little bit cursed in how it's been hard to like get it out there. But yeah, I've been plugging it enough on social media that I think most of my 
friends know of this separate project. Yeah, so I'm just trying to like redo the the live show right now and come up with like a new like image for the stage setup. And so yeah, I still feel like that project has a ways to go. You know, like it's it's not as well known, of course, because like with Devours, I've played maybe like 150 shows in Vancouver. Like I, I was really going at it hard before the pandemic happened, and so it has a, quite a bit more exposure than this new project. But right, yeah, it's something to work for. You know, just like something different. Because again, I'm pretty prolific, and I don't really tour that much, and so I like to just have like a steady stream of things that I'm working on in two different projects. So yeah, well, it's good to keep yourself busy, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I don't have a clever segue here, so. Let's just listen to some more music. (laughs) Okay. I want to hear the song Death is a B-Side. I like that one too. Let's do it. All right. So this is Devours with Death is a B-Side. Of my 
And that was Death is a B-Side by Devours. And a sports car? What just happened? Yeah, a huge garbage truck just passed. <laughs> Sorry about that. Dude, there was a line on this album that made me laugh. I think it's from the track, is it Feckless Abandon? <laughs> they like, you are only a fling because I'm in love with your dad. Because <laughs> the second I heard that line, I just started laughing. Ooh, yeah. True to life. <laughs> definitely happened. The grieving is over. I thought you'd be glad. It's a good line. Thank you. See, I, whenever I go into these conversations, I never do any research because that's part of the fun. Sure. But yeah. then when you when you run into these situations where it turns out that the person has another musical project that I should have probably uh, listened to. Don't sweat it. I, I'll just sit here and just have you sit on the line as I just listen to cross face chicken wing yeah are you a wrestling fan i was never a wrestling fan okay i had friends who were and i really liked the game on the n64 uh wrestlemania 2000 Mm -hmm. classic and i still to this day love that play style Mm -hmm. i always liked that franchise and i always liked how stupid the characters looked (laughs) yeah because they had those big square heads and those flat faces and they looked so dumb and when you could create your own character they looked so stupid and the music was so lo-fi like compressed uh, (laughs) it was so terrible yeah it's awesome but the main thing was since n64 was like the last cartridge based system there was no load time Mm -hmm. so you could like alter the names and appearances of every character in the game and then have like crazy 40 man rumbles with all customized characters and that was awesome because like once all the consoles went to cd you couldn't do that without the game like freezing for one minute to load the next guy in Mm -hmm. so like in some ways the n64 was better for just like pick up and play action sure i'm getting a sense andy that you're a pretty big gamer (laughs) (laughs) i used to play a lot more and nowadays i literally have all the consoles and what i do mostly is look at them oh in my eyeline, I can see all of these fancy things, and then, you know, I get maybe, like, 20 minutes a day to, to play. I'm very nostalgic for certain types of games. Like, I, I think about it a lot. I, I'm not going to get into this. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah, I mean, I my go-tos are Mario Kart and Donkey Kong Country for Super Nintendo. Oh, yeah. Those were, like, my ones. Donkey Kong Country I always go back to just because Aquatic Ambience is... Maybe one of the best pieces of video game music ever made. Yeah, I agree. It's funny that that music was made for Donkey Kong. I think I saw like a one of those like comedy websites was just like kind of making fun of the fact that like, you know, artist produces transcendent music for video game about a gorilla that rides a shark or something. You know, just... <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but yeah, I played a lot as a kid, but most time was probably spent on the N64 mm-hmm. with uh, GoldenEye and Perfect Dark. Yeah, I never got into GoldenEye, but I know it was a phenomenon. It was so popular. My go-to party game was Smash Brothers. Yep. So fun. I miss couch co-op, you know, like playing with buddies in the same room. Yeah. Having some beers or getting stoned or whatever and just playing games. Like, that was a... Those were good times. Also, we didn't have any cares, so that was also part of it. Maybe you can do it with your parents. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, my dad's not really into games. Oh, okay. At least the nice thing is all the games now look really awesome. So even if you don't actually give a shit about video games, when you walk in the room and just see one being played, it's like, oh, wow, like games look really, really realistic these days. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should do that, too, man. Get back into gaming. That'll cheer you up. Gamers are really notoriously happy people. Oh, 
<laughs> was that sarcastic? I don't know. <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, if you ever read internet articles about gamers, then it's uh, usually about toxicity. Oh, I, I'll read up on that, actually. You know what? Stay off the internet. If you want to improve your mental well-being, you can stay the hell off the internet. That's my advice to you. <laughs> yeah, good call. Honestly, like, the fact that I don't look at Facebook anymore makes me so much happier. Yeah, okay. The point is that now that you've got these two musical projects, one of them where you're painting your head and one of them where you're wearing a golden sheet. Is that the look of this? <laughs> yeah, you found it. <laughs> I'm looking right now. There's a picture of you in a golden, sparkly golden sheet at the Ironworks. Yeah. <laughs> is that what the golden age of wrestling looks like? Yep. Yeah, and the golden age of wrestling is an asshole. So are... <laughs> yeah, like, Devours is nice, and the golden age of wrestling is a bully. He's, like, a really, really cocky, like, alpha. But but his music is, like, really nice and peaceful. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and Devourers and the Golden Age of Wrestling hate each other. Well, <laughs> and on Instagram, there have been a few fights, like online fights between the characters. Like the Golden Age of Wrestling is really jealous of Devourers' success in Vancouver, and so he's always trying to like drag Devourers down and like bully him and stuff. See, this sounds like fun. Look at that, you get to be all these characters. It, it is fun, yeah. Sometimes when I can like get my head out of my own ass and not be depressed all the time, then like I can be creative. Well, that's good. Is that, man, at least you're producing all this art, though. That's the nice thing. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I do genuinely like both projects. They're both like really fun for me. So, were you a fan of wrestling? Is that why you asked? Absolutely. I love. I ended up. Taking up that whole segment, <laughs> talking <laughs> about video games. <laughs> no, it's okay. Yeah, wrestling. I love it. I love it so much. Now, yeah. tell me, what exactly would a gay man? Uh, what interest would he have in a, a sport about a bunch of greased-up dudes wrestling each other? <laughs> you called it, Andy. Yeah, mm. but not only for like the obvious like visual attraction, just the fact that like random guys create characters and it's like a big soap opera like the whole thing is just totally fascinating and hilarious like wrestling is so awesome it's a big soap opera for men i know nothing about modern wrestling what i do know was the time when uh, uh who's mick foley oh, remember amazing, he would do yeah. all these stunts and like when he got pushed off that that thing and landed on all the pins yeah <laughs> mick foley is one of my all-time faves He's amazing. That's the era that I knew about. So like the era of like The Rock and Stone Cold and, and that period of time, because since I did like the game, I sort of had like an interest at that time just to know what the real life stuff was. And, and Sting, I liked because he looked like the crow and I like the movie The Crow. So like, yeah, yeah. See, like, it's just it's cool. Like a lot of people think it's, it's silly because it's not a real competition and stuff. But I, I just find the business aspect so interesting, right? When you get a whole bunch of these like big brutish, like muscle guys with probably huge egos all in like the same locker room or in the same business where like, it's not a real competition, but like, how do they decide who wins and who loses? And how do you deal with that lack of control over your own career? Like the, the actual like business background side of it is totally fascinating to me too. Just the whole industry is so weird and mysterious. I guess that's an aspect I never really thought of because I never considered their egos before. Yeah. But like, yeah, like if you're all egotistical, like attention seeking people, yeah. but you still have to play by the rule of like before, you know, that week or whatever when say now and this storyline is going to end with you losing to Undertaker. Yeah. To know that the whole time. Exactly. Right. Like imagine training your entire life, like being a legitimately good wrestler, like in college wrestling or whatever. Like a lot of these people are very, very talented. Like they're, they're good athletes, 
And then your big dream is to like be in the WWE. And then you finally, after years of hustling, you you get in and they're like, okay, we're hiring you as a jobber. We're like, your entire thing is to lose to everyone and to look bad yeah. <laughs> so that you make everyone else look good. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? And just the life of being on the road. Like I've watched a lot of documentaries and it's just so fascinating. It's like a brutal industry, but I, I think that it's really interesting. I think that wrestling is cool. There is some pride as well in being like, if you're a good heel, like if you're an actual bad guy, but like one of the big bad guys. Yeah. But I guess it's the jobber thing that you're saying that, that is more interesting. Like if your whole deal is just to be a pawn, basically. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, I mean, these guys are legitimately like athletic and competitive like alpha males in a way. Yeah, just a really interesting business. Do you want to be a wrestler? I do not. <laughs> I do not. I, I get to sort of be one through my musical identities, but no, I grew up super skinny and weak and I'm not that athletic. And no, I'm definitely like an, an art kid. Like I can't wrestle. <laughs> I would get destroyed. <laughs> Being an art kid's cool, too. I was one of those. Great. It's funny because I grew up in such a small town that, like, the things I was weird for now are just like, what? Like, I was the weird kid because I liked Depeche Mode. <laughs> yeah. I wore a black coat, you know, instead of wearing whatever the trendy thing was to wear, you know, a winter coat with, like, a stripe across it. You know, a puffy coat with some kind of a stripe. <laughs> sure. And I always used to like wearing dress shirts and shit because I love Doctor Who. And so, like, I would always like to wear, like sport coats and things like that were you a nerd in high school i went to a school that was such a small population okay that we didn't quite have the clicks that they had on television <laughs> fair enough okay there were clearly the people who were cool mm. but i was sort of like in the crowd of like sort of like the artsy kind of weirdos who would like hang out outside the school and like smoke i didn't smoke but like you know like i would hang out with the smokers oh, okay and we all kind of got along with everybody like we were that group if i had to hang out with like certain crowds i could do it it wasn't like we were like sort of ostracized to our own section but i guess maybe that's just the nature of going to a small school like if it is only like five or six hundred students you don't have the the hundred goths you know who like yeah. hang out in the back and have their faces painted up or whatever it's just sort of like there's one goth and you know we're kind of all friends because he's just the only one whatever you know like totally <laughs> yeah i grew up in nanaimo which is not a small town, but it's a small city. Small, but not that small. Like, it's not a small town. I think there were probably like 70,000 people when I was growing up there. We had five high schools. And so I, I guess the high schools were big enough that there were some cliques. But I, I don't think that I was a part of a group. I was maybe like a floater in high school. Or I guess I was part of like the French immersion kids. How old are you? 36. So then what was your experience growing up then? Was like, were you living in a place where you could like be out? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. No. So it wasn't, it wasn't great. Sure. Like you could be out, but you, yeah, it was not good. The nineties were terrible. Yes. Well, like I love when I, <laughs> when I think about my own experience of just being the weirdo because I liked Depeche Mode. Yeah. Is, is sort of like, <laughs> that shows you the state of the way things were. Yeah. Uh, high school <laughs> was not the highlight of my life. Sure. Let's say that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for me, like, living in a small town, we only had, like, one radio station, which was, like, a hybrid country slash new music station. So my soundtrack of high school was just shitty music I hated, and it sort of left me, like, with a contempt for 90s hit music. Oh, okay, because I actually, I love 90s music. There is music I liked in the 90s. It just wasn't the stuff that was, like, in the top charts. Yeah. I enjoyed the cheesy pop <laughs> sure. and the, the dance music, even even though it's ridiculous like yeah. that's what i was listening to was like those much music dance mix 92 and 93 and like these sorts of things amazing 
Yeah. So there was cool music there, and basically towards the end of the 90s, I just started getting into industrial. Ooh. Just because that's where the electronic music was, you know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah. I think I'm finding as I get older, like, one of my main joys is, like, synth pop. Yeah, you're a synth head. And the 90s was not a time for synth pop. Correct. So I, w- I would take my electronics where I could get it. You know, Nine Inch Nails and yeah. any band that had synthesizers in it, or, or like, trance and, you know, Eurodance and techno and stuff like that. What I was not into was the kind of pop country stuff in, like, the 90s. Like, one of my one of the songs that's like the bane of my existence and I feel bad because I'm a Canadian and I shouldn't say this but it's uh, Alana Miles Black Velvet oh. is a song that just hits me the complete wrong way and it is on the radio every day <laughs> She straddles the line of pop, rock, and country with that one song. Yeah. Which means that every station can play that song and get away with it. Yeah. That's so funny. I'm not even going to say it's a bad song. It just... You just hate it. I have probably heard Black Velvet over 2,000 times in my life. Yeah. And never once was it my choice. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Yeah, sometimes when a song gets overplayed... Drives you crazy. And the hits were way overplayed in the 90s. Like, you'd have Mariah Carey at number one for four months, (laughs) Boys to Men for four months, Macarena for fucking a a year year for some reason. (laughs) Anyway, so that's my feeling. So when I think back to the 90s, I think of the awkwardness of high school. Yeah. uh, You know, because I was like a skinny guy and stuff and a little bit of a weirdo. Mind you, when I think about it now... I should have been hitting on, like, the artsy chicks. I would always have crushes on, like, the unattainable girls. Of course, yeah. And when I think back and go, like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, if I could go send my brain back into previous me, which is a fucking very unhealthy fantasy to have, but, like, (laughs) I would always have a crush on, like, these girls that clearly wouldn't be interested in me Mm. and then be sad about it. Yeah. Can you relate in any way? Yeah, I was more attracted to, like, my teachers. Which made me feel even more, like, messed up. I bet. We, n- we never really had any hot ones. Oh, okay. This is a horrible thing to say. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> All right. I think we had one cute art teacher that came in in high school, and that was it, really. Oh. Well, I guess that must have been really fucked up then and confusing for you. Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> so then what, what kind of stuff were you into then when you were younger? Like, did you seek out art and movies and video that sort of connected with your experience? Or were you just looking for an escape? Like, what kind of stuff were you interested in? I think that I was looking for an escape, Okay, honestly. Yeah, I watched much music religiously growing up. Like, I just, every single day, I think my mom, it drove her crazy. I just loved music videos. I loved just, like, FM radio, vinyl. Like, there wasn't a ton of culture in in Nanaimo. There were a few venues, but I barely got to see any shows growing up. I think my first show that I ever saw was The Tea Party. Do you remember the tea party? I do. They have a few songs I really like. Yeah, actually, there is. They're still. They're good. I'm, <laughs> I'm still into their old stuff. I liked that phase when they were. Remember when like Nine Inch Nails was big, and there was like a tea party phase where their music videos kind of looked like the Nine Inch Nails videos of the time. I know they went goth. Yeah, yeah they yeah, were yeah. definitely ripping off Nine Inch Nails a little bit on Transmission. Yes, that's, that's, that's the, the one. Album. But that that album's got some great songs, though. It does. Yeah, like they're actually a really talented band. But yeah, so yeah, didn't see a ton of shows growing up. But yeah, I think that when I moved to Montreal, that was a, a huge like eye-opening moment for me of like getting cultured and being in a big city. And so, yeah, it was a little bit of a late bloomer that way. Ooh, and that's the name of your album. But yeah, yeah, it all kind of ties together, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I do have a quick question for you, because there's been a lot of focus on like older 
artists, older bands, older times. But you run this podcast, and I'm sure you talk to lots of people in Ontario, like lots of musicians who are making current synthwave stuff. Yes, mostly internationally. Oh, cool. There are some Canadian artists and local Canadian artists to me who make synthwave who are popular in the scene, but it's a pretty international scene. It's like, you know, a lot of people make synth music in Sweden. Oh, of course, yeah. And Europe and stuff like that. And so I talk to people from all over. That's why this show has to be online is because like mm-hmm. every week, you know, like tomorrow I have an interview with a guy in Venezuela and, you know, next week it's Spain and, you know. Wow, neat. Good for you. The synthwave scene is a very online scene because it's yeah. like once once you actually organize an event, then it's like 10 people show up, you know, because it's like there's, you know, 20 people in this city and 20 people in this city. And so overall, it makes up a scene that has a lot of people in it, but we don't have like a, a Lollapalooza for synthwave, you know? <laughs> sure. But look, man, we can probably wind this down. Okay, yeah. What the audience won't realize is that uh, we took a break so that you could run an errand. <laughs> and while you did that, I uh, I listened to some golden age of wrestling. Ooh. Okay, so I thought maybe we'll throw in a track. Okay, there's one I dug called Nevada, Ooh. which is a cool song. Thank you. And uh, let's listen to that, and then maybe we'll uh, we'll wind down. So this is uh, this is the golden age of wrestling with Nevada.
And that was Nevada by the Golden Age of Wrestling, a.k.a. Devours, a.k.a. Jeff. Hi. And we have been chatting today. You know, it's interesting because I was going to, the final song I was going to play was your track Avalon. Whoa. Because it is a nice cinematic instrumental track. I didn't see that coming. Well, it's a cool song, man. It's got a nice vibe. But then considering that the golden age of wrestling kind of, it feels like it's almost an extension of Avalon. It is. Yeah. It's kind of like coming full circle. <laughs> so I figured maybe I'll, maybe we'll end with a golden age of wrestling track instead. Yeah. Just uh, in case... Uh, angry people listening to this go like i can't believe they didn't talk about wrestling oh yeah and they get mad at me because that makes me a poor host and researcher <laughs> so anyways is there is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about uh i don't think so no we covered a lot i didn't think we'd talk about high school <laughs> yeah it was a very neat experience doing this i wish i could see your face i don't know what you look like um i look well my pictures on my site i look like a guy uh, cool <laughs> <laughs> sure no, this has been a pleasure. Uh, yeah, people can find me online, on Spotify. You can find me on Grinder. <laughs> I'm, I'm around. I'm Christian Mingle. Hit me up. See, that's the one thing I've totally missed. I've been literally married for or with my wife for like 20 years, so I missed all online dating. You didn't miss much, Andy. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, it's like a wasteland. I would always be like ashamed of disappointing people. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's kind of intimidating, especially on the gay apps. You go on and everyone has six packs, big muscles. And there are in Vancouver. I mean, it's like L.A. Like there are so many good looking people here and it's kind of intimidating. And you're like, oh, it makes you feel kind of insecure about your body. And then you go on a few dates and you're like, oh, that's why you're single. Like some right. people have really bad social skills. <laughs> like everyone has a story. Everyone's going through something. And yeah, it's a, an interesting world. I'll tell you what it's like. I want to get a cat. I haven't had a cat ever since we had kids. We haven't had a pet. And so I was looking at the adoption websites. This is a horrible thing I'm about to say. But the nicest looking cats, if they're on an adoption website, they have a problem. Mm. So like when I'm scrolling through the thing and I'm like, oh, wow, look at this. This is a beautiful cat right guaranteed there's a giant paragraph that follows well this cat you know she needs like fucking all this medicine and she's on this regimen right now and she doesn't like kids and she doesn't like you know having an owner and <laughs> yeah. there's one i saw where it was like the it was the cat looked so nice i was like i can't believe this is an adoption thing and then literally it's like he's got a problem where his sphincter's loose and he just shits on the floor oh my god and i just started feeling so bad it was weird like i i thought it'd be nice to be like we'll go to an adoption website and like an adopt a cat and i don't care if they're a few years old but then i just got really depressed because they all just have these sad stories and you just start feeling so bad for them because it's like this guy's like nine years old like up for adoption like who's going to adopt a nine-year-old cat yeah anyway so maybe maybe online dating is like that it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah or it's just like i don't know it's like apartment hunting you know it's like a really exciting at the beginning and there are a lot of attractive places but then and you sort of, you get your hopes up, but then you go to a place and then you realize it's an open house. Right. <laughs> and there are like 20 people who are trying to get it. And <laughs> I love this metaphor. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like surprisingly similar where it's like you often can't actually get what you want. And then you're sort of stuck choosing between like trickier options. Yeah, it's, it's a long story. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, dating. I mean, it's a wild world. Of course, you know, you could always get some of that special uh, high quality max makeup and just paint some abs on you. 
<laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I've never thought of that, actually. That's what I would do. <laughs> I, would, I would just paint all the things I'm disappointed with. I'll just paint on a bigger dink <laughs> and a fucking a set of abs and all this other stuff, and then I don't have to be ashamed of all that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great conversation. That's the one thing I like ending every conversation where the guest goes, aww. <laughs> <laughs> as long as I can make them feel bad for me, then it makes them feel good about themselves, right? That's what I do here. Okay. That's, that's <laughs> great. Well, this has been a very nice chat, Andy. Yes. Well, listen, it was lovely to meet you. You make cool music. Everyone should go check out uh, the music of Devours and also the Golden Age of Wrestling. Thank you. And uh, keep on making cool tunes, man, and I'll keep uh, listening to them. Great. Thank you so much for your support, and goodbye, everyone. All right, and that was my chat with Devours. Hope you enjoyed the show. Tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. And that is all I have to say. So don't forget to take care of your teeth and take care of your pianos and keep on being cool. Oh, and don't forget, if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash beyondsynth or supporting the show via PayPal at beyondsynth.com and uh, click on the PayPal button. And I'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening. This was Beyonce. No more show today. Now shut up, the robot lady's got something to say. Beyond Synth is made possible by the supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash beyondsynth or donating via PayPal at beyondsynth.com. If you want to submit music to the show, please email beyondsynthsubmissions at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. May the Force be with you.